Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. All right, I want to jump right into the Word. We've got limited time this morning. Uh, after all that went on last week, I, uh, you know, I've really been torn. Here it is, Mother's Day, and we've been speaking on the spiritual war, deliverance, how to combat the enemy. And uh, that is not a normal subject you deal with on Mother's Day, but in light of all we went through last week, we're just going to jump right back into that. Uh, so let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. Lord, we thank you for our kids. We thank you for the moms here this morning. Lord, for all the work that they do, we ask that they would be especially blessed. And now, Lord, we ask that you would anoint the preaching of your word. Lord, I ask that you would condense all that I need to say into these few short minutes, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm looking over here at the carpet. I tell you what, the carpet went through a beating with those baptisms this last week. It's a good thing we're recarpeting the stage. Yeah, it uh, looks pretty rough. How many of you were at the services this week? Raise your hand. How many of you didn't, weren't able to go to any of them? No judgment. I mean, like, yeah, well, it looks like just a few of you weren't here. So it was a great time. God did a lot of good things. I'm still getting testimonies of healings rolling in. And uh, many, many healings, many deliverances. And uh, in light of that, uh, I want to address something that is really crucial for us to understand. Whenever we have an encounter with God, uh, whenever we have a breakthrough, uh, when, when you've been crying out to God for deliverance of some form, it might be deliverance from some secret behavior, it might be uh, deliverance from some uh, physical malady, whatever that is, if you receive a healing, a deliverance, a breakthrough uh, in your life, we need to understand that there is the event and then there is the process. And often when people embrace the event, they get disillusioned in the process and they begin to question the event. And so it's very, very important that we understand this principle. Leif Hetland, many of you know Leif. Uh, we'll be having him back in here one of these days. And uh, Leif used to have this phrase he would say often, it's the battle you fight after the battle you've won. How many of you have ever experienced that? That there's a battle you fight to receive something and then there's a battle to acclimate that thing to your life. You can put it this way, that there is the internal transformation. There's something that happens to you, but then there's a battle against that thing uh, in the ensuing days. And, and uh, much of that battle is external. It's, there's the relational battle around you. There is a, uh, you can put it this way, there is a sociological battle. What do I mean by that? I mean that the other people in your life are going to have to begin to treat you differently. And that's a big deal. That's something we're often not prepared for. I remember for years uh, when I worked at Teen Challenge, we would see guys transformed by the power of God. They would go home and there would be tremendous relational conflict in their marriage, often with the very woman who prayed them into the program. Because the wife who prayed them into their transformation now resented and resisted that transformation when it showed up in the form of their husband. Because that is not the man they signed up for. They thought that was the man they longed for, but in reality, they had married that man for a reason. 
They have, I'm going to get a little, I'm going to meddle here a little bit smart. I used to teach a class out at Teen Challenge. We had pioneered a program out at Teen Challenge that uh, no other Teen Challenge had. I don't know if any do now, uh, but what we called it was Wives Weekend because we would find that guys would get really touched by God and they would go home and they would experience the same dynamic that I just said. And so we wrote up a curriculum, we'd have the wives in, we'd love on them, give them gifts, and then we'd, we'd teach them. And I was less tactful back then. I was a young man, so uh, I had a session that was called this, It Takes One to Marry One, A Study in Codependency. Like I said, I was less tactful back then. But the, the fact is, our relationships are a mirror into our relational maturity, our relational health. The way you perceive yourself, your identity, will attract and accommodate certain behavior. And as you are transformed, then those who signed up for the unhealthy you will begin to feel a little uncomfortable when the healthy you begins to show up. And that doesn't make them evil, it just means that that's part of the process of transformation. And make no mistake about it, this also applies not only to inner healing, not only to deliverance, it also applies to physical healing. I have actually seen people be physically healed and in the coming days begin to really wrestle with their new identity. Whenever you get a breakthrough, there's this longed for freedom that you finally step into. But there's there's this other element to this thing that you didn't anticipate. And that was that there were things that this situation I was struggling with actually attracted to me that I began to value. It might be the pity of other people. It might be their compassion. It might be financial support. There are things that our struggle, if we're, if, if we're, if we're surrounded by a good Christian family, our struggle will attract things to us that really we do begin to value. And so in a strange way, when someone goes through deliverance, when they go through a physical healing, when there's some kind of transformation in their life, there is this rejoicing on the front end, but then there's this strange grief that sets in on the back end. And they're having to process that. And you just need to know, I'm here to tell you this morning, that is normal. But you've got to push through it because if you don't, you will actually continue to identify as the old person that you were before. And if you do that, you can actually begin to accommodate the old patterns and find yourself back in the same place. I've known of people, I I was talking to Leif the other day and we were talking about this dynamic and it was interesting. He was telling about this lady he prayed for, uh, completely blind, was healed of blindness and over the next few days began to really freak out thinking, oh man, because of my blindness, I used to have financial support from the government. I had people taking care of me. I've never had to do this before. I don't know how to do all this stuff. And as she talked to herself over the next few days, she actually talked herself back into being blind. And she was physically blind. She lost her healing. That's a sobering thing. And in a strange way, it's understandable. And we need to have great compassion with people that are going through that. But we also need to realize that our breakthrough is the event. That is, it's like the invasion of the kingdom of heaven. But now you have to learn to govern your gains. And the way in which you govern what you conquered 
is that you need to learn to cooperate with what God is doing in you. Transformation is a process. I used to say transition is a process, but that word has taken on new, term, new meaning. That when you're in transition, that it's a process. But it, it really is. There's, often there's an event and a process to everything that God does in our life. And we need to have our eyes open on the front end so that we go into this thing with eyes wide open and realize that we've got to wrestle through some things. So I'm just going to read through some things this morning uh, because we're not going to have time to get to all of it. We can pick up next week. Um, Identity is crucial to change. Identity is your perception of yourself, how you identify. What you believe will determine how you behave. Your belief about yourself is crucial to shaping your behavior. Any struggle we are asking deliverance from, whether sickness, a habit, mental torment, emotional pain, has an identity component to it which must be challenged in order for us to be delivered. We've got to confront that thing. If you view yourself, and if, if you are physically handicapped, you're going to view yourself in that way, or you're deluded, okay? You've got to deal with reality, but once you're healed, your mind has to catch up to what your body has experienced, and there's a relational component to this thing. And if you don't make the shift, I've actually seen people begin to slide back into the same rut they once had. And it's because they've, they have never dealt with the identity issues to their deliverance. This is very, very important. Identity is an act of spiritual war. When you, have, when you have the right identity, it protects you against the enemy. But if you succumb to the pressure to fall back into your old identity, you will actually create the external world to accommodate those old behaviors. And so we, we need to go to war against this thing. Our identity determines how we interact with people and what we attract. When we receive a breakthrough, we must embrace that at the level of our identity. To put it another way, breakthrough, whether impartation, healing, or deliverance, requires a new you to steward it. The old you was insufficient to carry what God has done in and released to you. So you've got to catch up. And so that's that transition time. And until you feel comfortable with your new circumstances, it's not really changed. And, and I would go up a step further and to say, and until those who know you best and love you most and interact with you uh, uh, most frequently, until they are comfortable with the new you, the process isn't over yet. You're still in transition. I've told this before, but uh, when I was, you know, I was a homeless alcoholic when I met Jesus, and I remember about three to five years into my walk with God, I was home visiting my mom and dad, and, and I had put them through hell, and they had just held the line and prayed and fasted, and uh, I was just, I, I was a, thank God they didn't, they, they would have been justified in just, t you know, that old thing, I brought you into the world, I can take you out. My dad would have been justified in doing that. And uh, so they, they prayed me in, and so now I'm walking with the Lord for several years, and I came home to visit, and I, one night I was out with some old friends, I was preaching to them, my dad didn't know that, and I came home, and I walked into the living room, and he was sitting in the chair just waiting for me to arrive. And I sat down, I said, hey, dad, how you doing? And we're talking, some small talk, and then he he leaned over and he said, you know, Dave, it's just now that I don't hold my breath wondering if you're going to walk in that door drunk. And for a split second, my heart was wounded. I thought, man, don't you realize how sincere I am? I'm changed. But I quickly realized 
that I had blown smoke in his face so many times that I had to earn that trust back and it had taken that amount of years to do so. And that wasn't on him, that was on me. And that is part of transformation. That I had to toe the line until everybody around me began to expect the new me to walk through the door. And until they expected that, I was still in transition. There is a sociological or relational element to transformation and deliverance. And we cannot resent other people not accommodating that. That's on us to forge that and prove that and rewire that and, and develop that and not succumb to the pressures of falling back into that old behavior. That's why we would have the wives come into Teen Challenge. We would we'd try to get them both on the same page. It is inevitable that there was going to be relational conflict over the good things that were happening. Those good things would rub them raw. But if they could both realize it, they would realize, oh, this is, this is highlighting a dysfunctional element of our relationship. And we need to work on this. And so this, this part of deliverance and healing and so forth is very, very important. Now, the old you is insufficient to carry what God has done in and released to you. There are numerous external dynamics which will attempt to pressure you back into the old identity, the one you had before your breakthrough. These conspire to push you back to surrender the ground gained. We've been talking about spiritual warfare and when we talk about this subject matter, the heading under spiritual warfare that this would fit is what the Bible calls familiar spirits. Familiar spirits, uh, the root word of familiar, of course, is familia in Spanish, familiar or family. And uh, lest you think I'm just using a you know, cute little English uh, jump to different words and trying to make a case that isn't rooted in Scripture. Let me just share a quick little Bible study with you. I'm going to read through it very quickly because unless you can make time to stand still, i got to read it. Okay, Leviticus 19.31. Do not turn to mediums or necromancers. Do not seek them out and so to, as to make yourself unclean by them, I am the Lord. That's Leviticus 19.31 in the ASV. The word medium is used uh, of spirits, uh, used of the pit, from which the spirits are called up, the spirit of the dead, or here as the necromancer. The Hebrew word is ovat. O-B-O-T, but it sounds like a V, ovat. Uh, that's out of the New American Commentary. Uh, it's reference on Leviticus 19.31. The Hebrew word translated familiar spirit is ovat, translated medium in the NIV, one with the familiar spirit in the KJV. It is referred to as a necromancer or someone who contacts the dead. It also refers to the spirit of the dead, those the, necro, the, the word ovat, refers, refers to the spirit of the dead, those the necromancer attempts to contact, as well as the dwelling place of the dead, the realm the necromancer is attempting to call the spirits from. The root word ovat comes from, uh, came from is ab, the first word in the Strong's Dictionary and the Hebrew term for Father. So this is where it connects to the family. Now you're all looking at me like, Pastor, are you really going to preach on this on Mother's Day? Hey, I'm already into it, so we're going for it, okay? In the Septuagint, it is almost always translated as the word, this is interesting, ventriloquist. As one 
One follows the thread among these various ideas, the connection between the terms, medium and familiar spirit, and even their correlation to the idea of father begins to emerge, giving light to this biblical concept. A familiar spirit grants influence beyond the grave. The necromancing medium serves as a ventriloquist, giving voice to the deceased. But as a demonic spirit, it reinforces the negative elements of the family narrative, leveraging the influence of the patriarchs and matriarchs in order to deceive. It reinforces the dysfunctional elements of the family system, keeping the generations in bondage to the sinful choices of its forefathers. Now what does all that have to do with what I opened with? That is the strategy of the enemy when it comes to breakthrough. It tries to reinforce the patterns we are leaving It tries to reinforce that old identity. It tries to reinforce the relational dynamics that are based on that identity because your identity defines your role in every relationship you go into. And when you define your role in the relationship, you have also defined the role of the other. Abuse of people that are abused and that have an identity or perception of themselves that they deserve to be abused attract abusers. And they have defined the role of people that they're going to attract into their life. They repel healthy relationships and attract unhealthy relationships. When they get healed, when they have a breakthrough, all of a sudden those relational patterns are challenged. And even though they're rejoicing because God really touched them, all of a sudden it's producing relational conflict in some of their most intimate relationships. And there's a tendency to want to back off of the breakthrough so they can just have relational peace. And what I'm telling you is there's a battle to fight after the battle you've won. To keep the ground. Now, when I say abusers and and the abused, I'm framing that as the most extreme situations. A lot of times these same dynamics show up in very loving Christian relationships. Okay, the fact is every one of, I got some bad news for you. I know I'm supposed to be a good news preacher, but every one of us has relational and personal dysfunction in our lives. And sanctification or Christian maturity is us growing out of that one layer at a time. And so God does a work in our life and then we have to work that out in our relationships. And if we If we give up that ground to find relational peace, we really do give up that ground because we're accommodating that old behavior and we'll find ourselves right back where we were before. And so we've got to fight for that ground. A familiar spirit functions beyond necromancy. It serves as the vehicle for the familial the familiar iniquitous patterns of the previous generation and previous relationships. It doesn't necessarily need to be family. Uh, it it, it uh, serves as a vehicle for those familiar iniquitous patterns to be visited upon the present generation. They do so by enforcing the behavioral patterns of the family through internal and external tension. Hang with me here. Psychological and relational pressure to keep peace, and maintain loyalty and the status quo. Breaking with the family in areas of belief and behavior is viewed as disloyal. Or replace that family with 
friendships. Breaking with the, the, uh, the friendship in areas of belief and behavior is viewed as disloyal, creating the tension of personal guilt and relational conflict. It is in this way that familiar spirits perpetuate the dysfunction of previous generations or previous experiences in our own life, thus providing the legal ground for negative consequences to land in our lives. A familiar spirit leverages the influence of the deceased or former relationships in order to deceive. They do so by reinforcing these iniquitous patterns and faulty belief systems. This is the psychological component. It feeds on false loyalties and fleshly sympathies. It is one of the spirits behind denominational, political, and national loyalties which supersede God's principles. Political and national and denominational loyalties are not a problem as long as they are subservient to your loyalty to Christ. But when those things take precedence over Christ, you've got a problem. Unless you think that doesn't happen, I'm telling you, I've counseled a lot. I remember counseling this one young man. He was struggling with homosexuality. He was from a particular denomination. And as I was talking to him, I I kept having this feeling, and so I finally, I just told him, I said, I feel like I'm counseling, I'd never met his family, uh, but I told him, I said, I feel like when I'm counseling you, I'm also talking to your mother. And he looked at me a little bit shocked. He said, I feel my mother's presence over me all the time, and I evaluate every decision through this one lens. What is my mom going to think? And as we talked, he, had, he attended a type of church that was very legalistic in some very key areas and tied salvation. They, they believe in the born-again experience, but they tied salvation to some very legalistic principles on when you worship and so forth. And as we talked it through, he hung his head and he said, I know I, got, I need to leave my church, but I'll never do it because it would break my mother's heart. And so as I began to press him on that and talk to him, listen, you've got it. God is trying to bring deliverance to you. Are you willing to obey him? And essentially he said, no. I will obey my mother over God. And the last I heard from him, he was living in tremendous bondage. This was a young man that was engaged. At one time he was engaged to a woman he dearly loved, but his mother did not approve of the relationship. And he went and saw her on the eve of her marriage and they both wept because she said, I loved you and I would have married you. And he turned to homosexuality. And this tragedy, this Christian mother, so controlled her son. And the unhealthy dynamics of that relationship, this young man was willing to obey his mother over God. And it created tremendous bondage in his life. And he would not confront the relational conflict that that would demand. There is a reason, Scripture says, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. But he wouldn't do it. And it cost him his own spiritual life with God. So, a familiar spirit is invested in maintaining the status quo. Let me put it this way. There are spirits, demonic enemies of your life that stand at the threshold of change. And they will... They will uh, Enter into a ceasefire with you. They'll give you your past victories. If you're willing to live on the postage stamp of land that you've already conquered, they'll say, okay, I'll leave you alone. But as soon as you try to step out of the boundary of what you used to have into what God wants you to have, they will rear their heads and begin to stir up trouble for your life. 
Some of it is your own internal struggles with identity. That is the psychological component. Your own feelings about who you are. And what God will use, God will use that transformation pressure to confront your identity and show you who really, you really are to cause you to grow up into who you're intended to be. But there's also this sociological or relational element of that where people will try to pressure you into being who you used to be. And again, that doesn't necessarily make them evil. It's just they don't have your revelation. You are the revelation and you have to step into it. You've got to begin to live it and then have a relationship from that new identity. And shake that thing out and find the new roles and, and parameters and boundaries to that relationship. And that's healthy. Relationships are complicated. And so we need to learn to do these things. I'm, I'm telling you, there is, a, there is a psychological and a sociological element to your spiritual life. And if you simply look at it as spiritual, you are going to stay stuck. At best, you will enter into some new territory and fall back to the old. Because there is a battle to be fought within you and between you. There's a battle for your identity, and there's a battle for your identity in, in the way that it shows up in relationships. So, a familiar spirit is vested in maintaining the status quo. It leads through lies, one partial truth at a time. It conspires with those elements of our personalities which long to keep the peace at the expense of truth. The Lord spoke the following to me on August 9th, 2021 in morning prayer. As the spirit of truth, I am the great disruptor. I will come to bring change and this will provoke familiar spirits out of hiding. I will instigate confrontation and you must not tolerate the error I expose. And he didn't say it nice to me. God is out to change his people. And I would propose to you that the cultural, social disruption that we have been experiencing the last number of years, I'm not saying that God instigated the conflict and the disruption, but God is very practical. He is going to use it. He's going to leverage it for your deliverance. If we have our eyes and ears open, God will use these things to confront our identity and move us from glory to glory. Familiar spirits stand at the threshold of change. Matthew 11 and Luke 11. I want to say it's Matthew and Luke 11. It talks about how the enemy, uh, it says that when you drive an evil spirit out of the house, and uh, it will come back and it, it will go to the dry places. And it'll come back and look in that house. And it's talking of an individual. It'll look in that house. It'll find it empty Matthew adds empty, swept clean and set in order. And he will move back into that house and joined by uh, some of his friends, seven others, more evil than himself. There are levels of evil. And he will make a way for ones more evil than himself and the end of that man will be worse than the first. Then he says, and so will it be this generation. So there's a sociological element to this too, a relational element, that the generation, but he says he looks in the house. Now it's interesting, the word house there is the word oikos. It's what missiologists use for the spheres of your relationship. And so what he's doing is he looks into your relational network. 
And he's looking, is there somebody that they're maintaining an unhealthy way of relating with them? Are they still identifying with their old identity in some form or fashion with that person? Because that will be my entrance. I'm going to look and see if there's still a way to get in. And so what we need to do is we need to begin to go after relational change, personal identity change and relational change whenever we have a breakthrough. So when the enemy comes swinging back around and looks in the windows, he does not recognize that house. He just say, it's, it's too much. It's too hard to get back in. There's people, it's easy to get back into their life. So I'm going to just go on my merry way and find another place to go in. The entry point for the demonic in our lives is often relational pressure and dysfunction. Much of what we refer to as oppression is simply the fruit of dysfunctional relationships. This does not negate the role of a very real spiritual enemy. It simply defines their entry point. We must endure the pressure of relational conflict, going low but holding to the truth in order to be, for the truth to be established. Okay, now... Familiar spirits leverage this, whispering into your ear, yes, rejoice that you had an experience. But you need to be realistic. You're going to create conflict. Upset the apple cart. You know your role. Get back into it. It's not even Christian to cause this kind of, up. you know, you're upsetting those who are around you. It is the renewing of your mind, the transformation of your identity, which will protect your breakthrough. But this demands you let go of some, of some of the things that your previous psych crisis, the very one you were asking God to remove, provided for you. I want to read through three things and then we'll land this. Oh my goodness. I'll tell you what, I'm going to invite the uh, ministry team to come up here while I'm reading this. Three things you need to look for. Relational conflict. The new you doesn't act like the old you. The problem is that you live with you and love you. <laughs> the problem is that those that live with you and love you are used to the old you. In a myriad of ways, they have accommodated themselves to the old you. When your actions match your history, they know their role. But when you change the rules, it throws them off and, they can, and you can even irritate them. Even the God-loving, God-fearing people can unconsciously attempt to provoke you into being the old you so they know their role. And this is unconscious. This stuff is under the surface. We don't even know why we're acting like that. Number two, the lure of the familiar. The enemy attempts to provoke familiar circumstances in order to elicit, elicit old familiar feelings. This is what is referred to as the evil day in Ephesians 6. All of this is to pull us into old behavior. This leads us to the third component in the strategy. The familiar spirit feels familiar to you. Now I talk to the youth. Some of you guys were radically touched this week, and that is awesome. But you want to keep the ground that you gained. And so here's what the enemy does. He tries to convince you that a momentary slip-up makes your experience fraudulent. Well, that wasn't real. I, I slid back into my old behavior, and he will jump on that, and it feels so real, and you begin to question your motives. But the grief in your heart over your behavior is actually the, 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 uh, the, the evidence that you really are changed. Yeah. The, the fact that you feel bad about what you did shows that you're not the person you used to be. 
And you need to stand there and just say, God, I need your grace. But this, this was a momentary trip up. Because it's not your action, it's your reaction that will destroy you. Your action was the spur of the moment. It tri- your actions reveal your triggers. Your reactions show your identity. And I'm talking about your perceived identity. I'm not talking about what God says about you. I'm talking about what you agree with about you. When you react in such a way that you succumb to that condemnation, it's revealing that there's an identity issue. God doesn't demand perfection. He wants progress. A righteous man will fall seven times. What does he do? He just gets back up again. Brushes himself off and keeps on going. And I, I, I'm, I'm telling you, God wants to light the youth and young adults of this region on fire. But this issue of righteousness has to be conquered. And the way you battle that is you realize that a momentary slip up is not an identity, uh, it's not a defining of your identity. Matter of fact, it's your identity that will fight that. Okay, I'm so sorry I brought you guys up, but just one moment. Uh, Familiar spirits seem familiar to you. It's not usually the pleasant, it's usually not a pleasant familiarity, but it is a familiarity nonetheless. That is its lure. We are already prepared for the familiar. The irony is that many of us choose the unpleasant familiar over the pleasant new. Well... This is because the new requires new responses, provoking feelings of inadequacy. We must use emotional and relational muscles we've never used before. The pleasant new requires growth, while the unpleasant old demands nothing. If we buy into the lie that comfort is a sign of favor, that, oh, struggle is a sign we're out of God's will, that comfort's a sign of favor, if we believe the satanic myth that comfort is the goal, we will then find ourselves resisting God's work to bring us into greater glory. The human capacity for self-deception is stunning. We have the ability to concoct evidence to back the mindsets of unbelief and acts of disobedience that we live in. Familiar spirits conspire to pull us back into our past, our previous assignment. They are fine with you stewarding yesterday's promotion. I already talked about that. Uh, Familiar spirits are stirred out of hiding during times of promotion. They are vested in the familiar, the status quo. They traffic in the familiar, are vested in the familiar, and disrupted and driven out by change. That is precisely why Jesus said evil spirits return to the previous house to see if they can re-enter. A familiar spirit feeds off the familiar. They desire to remain undercover and will rear their head to trigger the old patterns. We don't have time to get into all this. Let, who'll give me five minutes? Just raise your hand. Five, 10, 15, 20. Okay. So, connected to, okay, familiar spirits are connected to past familiarity, the iniquitous pattern of your previous life. Number two, they attempt to limit you to past victories. Number three, they attempt to create familiar, the familiar within the new scenarios in order to produce the patterns of your past behavior. Number four, familiar spirits are connected to the patterns of your family and in ways you were raised in both a psychological and sociological component to it. They attempt to leverage the way you were raised against us, highlighting the unhealthy elements. Five, transference. Uh, it's a psychological profile with a spiritual component. Look it up. I don't have time to get into it. The term we translate familiar spirit. Okay. 
So, number three, momentary setbacks for you guys. This is what I was talking about. The enemy entices and provokes you to momentarily go back to what you used to do. What we must understand in these moments is not that the action, but the reaction that is crucial to your spiritual stability. What you do is indicative of your triggers. What you do about what you do is indicative of your identity. What triggers you to act out? When you blow it, hey, it's a learning moment. Let me go back and examine that. Go back and apologize. Look at that and say, okay, this is... God, a God-given opportunity for me to make some progress. You are not your actions. You, they are indicators, not determiners. Your momentary actions flow from your vulnerabilities. Your reactions flow from your self-perception. Familiar spirits attempt to leverage this to create a lifestyle. The enemy loves to produce deep guilt and to leverage it to convince you your experience was just that, an experience. But what it was not is a transformation. It was merely emotional, not a true encounter. That is true of physical healing. That is true of emotional healing. It's true of any encounter in our life. God wants us, he wants to take us from glory to glory to glory. We keep on taking ground. And there's a tendency, especially for some personalities that just want relational peace. And be careful that you don't buy peace at the expense of truth and your spiritual maturity. God wants you to keep what you got. And understand, man, there's some of you, I want to call you out by name right now. Because I love you and I, I can see, I, I just felt it this morning in prayer, some of you, that the enemy is combating you and whispering in your mind and telling you that, that what, what you experienced in the conflict, now the tension you're living in, that this is, it's proof that this wasn't of God. And I'm here to tell you that tension you're feeling right now is proof that it is God and you are in the process of transformation. This is a good thing. So you're in the process. Stay the course. Want to do two things. Go ahead and stand so you know I'll quit. Okay, I've only used six of the 15 minutes you guys gave me. I want to do two things. I'm going to give you an opportunity this morning to respond to the Lord. If you're here this morning and you've never surrendered to Jesus, and you're saying, hey, when I came in here, I have, I'm aware that God is real and I need to get right with him. And we want to we lead you. That's the first step in your new life. And if you're saying, I need to get right with God, it might be something you've done before. But you've fallen away and you're saying, I want to I take that stand. I want to walk with Jesus. If you want to get right with the Lord this morning, just raise your hand high. We want to pray with you. You want to get right with the Lord, just raise your hand high. Make sure I acknowledge you before we move on here. I don't want to assume everybody is right with God. I want you to be right with God, but I want you to really be right with God and not just put on appearances. All right. Secondly, if God really touched you this week and you've already begun to feel that battle, that strain of just that internal tension and that external, it might be one or the other, it might be both, but you recognize there's a tension within you and God's doing a work and you need to step up into that and you want prayer this morning. We're opening the altars right now. So if you, if you want prayer, uh, hands laid on you, just come right now. Amen. Amen. Yeah, anybody else, just feel free to come up for prayer. I'm going to go ahead and close as these come. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your, 
Lord, the outpouring that we experienced this week. Lord, we thank you for all you did. And Lord, we're asking that you would continue in your work. Pastor Adam and Heidi, could you guys jump up here and help out? We've got more people than we have prayers. That's a good thing. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you. Now, Lord, as we go, I ask God that we would take to heart what we've heard this morning. And Lord, help us to keep what we've gained. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.